Hello everyone and welcome back. It's the Full 40 with Chris and Rob brought to you by Nova Insider. We are in Bumblefuck, New Jersey in a Home Depot parking lot. Literally in in a parking lot. In my car. (laughs) Bringing to you this podcast. Our wives are at a baby shower. Yeah. Which we can debate the merits of baby showers. Absolutely. We'll have a follow-on podcast appendix for that. Um, So... We need to get a podcast done and out to you guys because we've had a big week. Yeah. And so and this op- is the level of dedication that yeah. we bring to you. Our options were either this or our one friend suggested we do it in a Buffalo Buffalo Wild Wings, which we actually drove right by a Buffalo Wild Wings like five minutes ago, but you put the kibosh on that one. So yeah. this one's on you, Chris. It is on me. But that said, we're still very excited. We I are- mean, very excited actually after a crazy week. Yeah, a crazy week in which we went 2-0, and which... Looked like it was going to be one and one. Hundred percent should have been one and one. Yeah, it should have been one and one. We kind of pulled a victory out of our ass. Um, I got to admit, I was sitting there watching that Creighton game, and three quarters of the way through the game, I was just like, "Yeah, this is a loss. Like, it's not going to happen." I was okay with it. We kind of predicted a loss. Yeah, and so it was like, "Okay, all right. Well, it's away. It's at Creighton. Probably a tournament team. Tough yeah. to win on the road against a tournament team." And nope. We found a way to win, and the way that we found to win was Colin Gillespie. Yeah, totally. Colin put the whole team on his back, though, yes. and and literally carried the team to victory in Omaha with Warren Buffett. Yes, in attendance. In attendance. Some of that Warren Buffett juice. That's right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's a thing. No, but... that's not a thing at yeah, all. Okay. Um, we were wearing the pitch blue all yes. unis, which were a Ooh, new feature for I this like, week. I like the pitch blue. We'll, we'll I, get to these. I like the pitch blue. Um, I don't necessarily like the name pitch blue. Yeah, but, it's a little bit weird. But I like the, the unis. Um, so we'll talk a little bit about unis a little bit later. Um, but let's just start with the Creighton game because I know we just came off a win of Georgetown and the second half against Georgetown was the best we looked all week. Yeah. And the best we've looked in a while as a team. Um, but the win against um, Creighton was the more important victory. To get a win on the road versus NCAA tournament team, and to do super so super tough a, place to play, super tough place to play, and do so in a fashion. Remember, the 2018 team lost at Creighton. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, to do so in a fashion that was riveting and like kind of one of those games that you kind of pull out. Like I always feel like we're kind of at those. We we kind of play those games where we're the better team on the court and somehow find a way to lose. Yeah. And to be the worst team on the court and find a way to win. Yeah. Was. I'll take it. Yeah, I was yeah, like I mentioned earlier, I was shocked. That was the definition of a grind it out victory. Oh yeah. I oh mean, yeah. That was good god. That took a couple years off my life. And so I think we talked about it on the last pod and we said, you know, the Colin hate has to stop and I think it's now officially stopped. And I'm not going to belabor this point, but just to say that Colin was the player of the game. He was the only bright light of that game. Dude. And he put everyone on his back, 8 of 10 from the field. And four was, or five from three. Yeah, four or five from three, and was just making all the right plays, good on defense, held held them tough, corralled the team together, and was like a true leader to get that win. The only so he was four or five from three. The rest of the team was two for twenty eight, and the only two makes were Sadiq Bay. Yeah, 
who seemed to find a stroke later in the week, which yeah. we get in, in overwhelming fashion. But yeah, it was, um, that game left a lot to be desired. I mean, defensively was much improved, and there was definitely a strategy of, hey, we're going to put Bay on um, Zigorowski. Seemed to, to work. The dude didn't do a whole lot, so that was a big plus. But offensively, that was that game left me kind of scratching my head and a little bit worried, which I didn't have those worries alleviated until this Saturday. But yeah. that said, like I, this team still has a lot to do and a lot of things to fix on the offensive yeah. end. Yeah, it's interesting because the team is doing this shoot 'em up sleep in the streets mentality, which I don't think yes. is ever going to change, which I got to come back to that in a little bit because I just find that Jay said it again on his presser yesterday. And it's just such a funny thing to me. Um, but we were co- talking about, okay, we're coming into this podcast and we're going to talk about how bad the team has been shooting yeah. and how like horrible it is. Yeah. And then we went out and actually had a good shooting performance yesterday. Yeah. But what was funny is Rob looked at the statistics Mm-hmm. And it still didn't matter. It still is one of the worst six-game stretches that we've had so, in recent memory. Yeah, so, so to, to put this in context, so we went out, we looked at, we looked at game stats, box, box scores, for the past 10 years, because that's as far back as I could find. So pretty good sample set, right? Yeah, roughly the golden age. Yeah, e- exactly. I wanted to do it all of Jay Wright era, but alas, we couldn't get there. But I think it, it gives you a point being. So... Like Chris mentioned, we looked at a six-game average to see just how bad our shooting percentage was. So in the past 10 years, there were only three other six-game stretches, and two of them were in a row. So effectively, only two other six-game stretches where we shot worse from three-point range than we have the past six games prior to um, the Georgetown game. And those two stretches were, one, at the end of the 2012-2013 season, capped off with the loss at UNC in the tournament. And the other one was at the, just the start of the, it was in the same season actually, or excuse me, it was the season before. It was just getting into 2012. So this was like January of 2012, just kind of middle of for starting yeah. a Big East play, basically, which is pretty inconsequential. But The bad year. Yeah, like, which you would expect, mm-hmm. right? Now, what's interesting, though, is in both of those stretches, three-point shots only represented about 30, 35% of our overall shots. In our current stretch, it's 50% of our yeah. shots. So, so you would think, yeah, you would think, though, that based on that, that we have even worse luck in terms of wins and losses. If you're overemphasizing, yeah, and and shooting worse, yeah, as a part of it, but it's actually quite different. Well, the crazy thing is, yeah. So obviously, we lost the Marquette game, but aside that was our only loss in that six-game stretch. While those other two stretches that I mentioned, we only won two of six games. Yeah, and in that process, we beat number one Kansas and beat Creighton on the road, Xavier at home. Yeah, kind kind of crazy, actually, when you think about it. I'm not quite sure what the takeaway is from it, other than, like, hey, if we can actually get that percentage back up, like, we're going to do a little bit of damage. And, like, it is historically bad. So, like, what you're seeing is likely an anomaly, and there's likely some mean regression. Yes. Big, I'm a big mean regression guy. Yeah. Uh, My friends know this about me, but I love when teams win without shooting well because that means when the shooting comes on 
it's going to get crazy. Yeah. And that's what we saw in the second half against Georgetown yesterday. And Jay's always talked about, too, I think it was like in the 2018 tournament, he made a quote. He's like, yeah, you know, I'm not worried if the shots aren't going in. It's like, as long as they're good shots, like eventually they'll fall, right, is, is more or less his point. Right. So given what we're seeing and the fact that this is historically bad, I am cautiously optimistic that we will trend back towards yeah. what our broader And it really is, is amazing how, like, shots going in makes the offense look a lot better. Yeah. Like, yesterday <laughs> was a, a very big, very big difference. Um, I do want to, before we jump into Shoom Up, Sleep in the Streets, the obvious follow-up question was, okay, so what was our best six-game stretch ever? You can guess it. I, I mean, I would have guessed it. I figured there would have been something else that would have just popped up. It's like a random six-game stretch. But literally the best six-game stretch we had shooting three-pointers was encompassed fully in the 2016 tournament. <laughs> that six-game stretch was the best we have shot three-pointers in the past 10 years. It's Good timing. It's kind of a... It, uh, yes, absolutely excellent timing. And if, as I recall, that 2016 team had actually... That was a little bit of mean regression for that team because not to say it was historically bad like it is this year... But that team actually, I thought, went through a shooting funk in the beginning of their Big East campaign back in, like, January of 2016. So that team actually came out of it, and then it got scorching hot. Yeah. Which kind of makes sense, though, because when you're averaging over six games and you could point to three or four games where we were scorching the Nets, which in particular were the Oklahoma game, the Miami game, and the um, the first game, Against, I don't even forget, I forget who it was. <laughs> but when you look at those three games, like we scorched the Nets those three games, we played pretty well against Carolina. KU, the KU Elite Eight game was the only game that was kind of a grinded out, low scoring affair. Yeah. And we kind of beat everyone else up. So it kind of makes sense. Yeah, it, it definitely makes sense. But I just thought it was funny when the, when the data kind of supported that too. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, you've got other entries, other six-week runs in there. You've got a few from the 2017-2018 team as well. So it's unsurprising. Um, un- unsurprising, right? You've got, actually, you have basically peppered in there, you know, a lot of the late season 2015-2016 team. So as you, kind of as you'd expect, right? Mm-hmm. But um, but it was pretty cool. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about shoot em up, sleep in the streets. <laughs> because this has been our strategy. And ever since the first time I heard Archie Diacono I think it was after the Bahamas. Yes, 100%. It, it was after Bahamas, after his shot versus Kansas, and then we beat Iowa. And he was talking with the media, and he was like, you know, our motto is shoot him up, sleep in the streets. And you hear Jay explain it in, like, the most, uh, like, the most, like, seemingly innocuous way possible. Yeah. It's like, oh, you shoot him a lot, and, you know, if you don't go in, you're going to be sleeping in the streets. Yeah. And he makes it seem like whatever. Like, let's just be clear here. This is a term about heroin <laughs> Like, yeah. no one talks about this. Why does no one talk about it? Like, you shoot them up, and then as a result of shooting yourself up with heroin, you're going to be sleeping in the streets. This, like, yeah. that, that's, what the, that's what the quote's about. This is like, this has basically been given the same treatment as, um, what's the Third Eye Blind song? Um, Semi-Charmed Life. Semi-Charmed Life. Which is also like, about I think it's about meth, right? But it's like everybody sings. It's like oh, it's a great song. You're like ah, oh, you great, don't want to do that. It's a great happy quote and song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And it's like all of a sudden it's like shoot them up to sleep in the streets. It's like yeah, that's about heroin. But <laughs> sure, we can apply it to our mainline university basketball team. It was definitely about basketball, hundred percent. Yeah, definitely the origination was about basketball. Completely. Oh my gosh. So 
that always just that always irks me and i feel weird even saying it like oh yeah shoot them up sleep in the streets that's our motto and it's like <laughs> oh you, yeah really just everyone's on heroin <laughs> what does jay know <laughs> yeah meanwhile we're in the middle of an opioid crisis so like, <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh oh man so speaking of that we didn't sleep in the streets after georgetown speaking of opioid crisis and specifically yeah. sadiq bay who oh my god is our alpha dog arf 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 baby Man Welcome of the week. Back. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That was that was a beastly performance. I big Sadiq Bay fan here. Did not know he had that shooting performance in him, which now evidently he is tied for the school record for most three pointers made in a game. Yeah, eight. Sadiq Bay? And, and Sadiq no. did it on eight of ten. Yeah. It was pretty efficient. Which like yeah. Colin had a great performance against Creighton. And you look at the stats and say, Wow, he shot eight of ten from the field. Well Sadiq just kind of one upped him and said yeah, I got eight of ten from three, baby. So yeah. deal with it. Sadiq was on automatic yesterday versus Georgetown, and is a big reason why we even went into halftime with a lead. Yeah, because we had no business being in the lead after halftime. Like Georgetown, in my opinion, just watching the game thoroughly outplayed us, and we just shot well, which yeah. goes to tell you again, shooting well absolves so many sins. At hundred percent. Yeah. And Jay was even talking about the presser. He was like, I'm mad because these guys played like garbage defensively. He didn't say it. I'm paraphrasing. But yeah. he was like, we played like terribly defensively in that first half. And then we got our act together. Yeah. And our shooting actually came back down to earth a little bit in the second half. But didn't matter because our defense stepped up and they had no answer yep. for the um, enhanced defensive effort. McClung was dealing with a little bit of a nagging yeah. knee injury, which definitely hurt them a little bit. But I want to say that it was more us outplaying them and less McClung's injury um, that played into that second half. That's kind of the going. narrative we're going to go with. Yeah, that's absolutely the narrative we're sticking <laughs> with here at the full 40. Um, so, yeah. So we were all ready for Colin to waltz to Alpha Dog Arf Arf of the Week. And Sadiq basically, like Colin basically played a king card and then and then Sadiq played an ace. Like, yeah. it was the only way you could beat him is having a record-setting performance because yeah. Colin, again, put the whole team on his back. So as a result, what we're going to do here is we're going to do a little bit of a cop-out and give Colin the Shaq Fit Man Play of the Week. Yes. Because he was, he put the whole team on his back. And so that's how we're going with it. You could call it a cop-out. It, it is a cop-out. It kind of is, yeah. It is a cop-out. We'll own up to it. We're owning up to it. And again, if you don't like it, Feel free to start your own podcast. 100%. So we always say. So yeah. we say here with Full 40. Yeah. yeah. And like, look, I was just so excited to see Sadiq come back in and dominate a game because we know he's capable of it. And it was actually a pretty neat week. He got um, recognition for the midseason Wooden Award Top 25, which Top 25 list, which I frankly was a little bit surprised by because he has been relatively quiet. He obviously had the preseason honors, which we thought were totally justified. We hadn't seen him really take over a game in a while. Yeah. So having him come in, absolutely dominate this game from start to finish, I thought was big, big for his confidence, big for the team's confidence. It's great when you see those shots go in, and you hope that that's going to continue going forward. Sadiq, I think we need to be, I mean, yeah, definitely one of the top 25, and it was good to see him get those midseason honors. I think that because the team is kind of like, I mean, we've been good. I mean, we only have three losses. Yeah. Um, probably a little bit ahead of schedule. But because the team has kind of been, I want to get into this a little bit, the team's been a little bit, um, 
how should I say? It's been a little bit like it doesn't seem like everyone's been like. There's been like some good performances. Yeah. Jermaine had a good game. Colin had a, a couple big games. Sadiq's had a few big games. But you kind of see how this team's a work in progress all season, yeah. and it's just like, are we getting better? And it's like it doesn't feel like we're this world-beating unit. It just feels yeah. like we're kind of winning games, which I guess you'll take, right? Yeah, hundred percent, right? Uh, but it's it can be sometimes easy to miss that, like in Sadiq Bay, we have just an outstanding player. Like yeah. he is, on, he is incredible. He is like he's a really good player. He would see significant minutes on any of our great teams of the past five years. Yeah, he's a very physically gifted pretty versatile player yeah. at this point. Yeah. You know, can't obviously he's not going to take people off the dribble. Though, according to what channel was on? It was on Fox Sports yesterday. They're like Steak Bay known for like breaking people down off the dribble. I was like, "No. Nope." I was like, "He's known for a lot of things. That is basically the only thing he's not known for." <laughs> you basically called out the one thing that he's not not known for. At all. <laughs> I was like, "Come on, guys. Just try a little." He could bit slash. Here. He could slash. Yeah. Yeah, yeah fine, but you know, But like, he's oh, not like Corey Fisher breaking people nah, down going to the hoop. Just silly. Just silly. Um I wanted to talk about this a little bit because the team is like, it feels like Jay is getting more and more out of these guys. And it feels like Jay is continuously improving the ceiling on this team by making the sum of the parts, sorry, the whole greater than the sum of the parts. Because I'm not seeing, like, it's hard for me sometimes to point to individual players and say, oh, this guy's been on a clear path up, right? Like, you look at players on the team. JRE, uh, you can get more comfortable. He's a good, re- great rebounder. Yeah. Um, is he a lot better than he was after game one? Uh, not really. Not, no. And, and again, we played Army, which we all said, like, got to check those expectations at the door even yeah. after Army. But, like, is he a lot better? Uh, maybe a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I guess he's getting used to the flow and the speed. Yeah. But he doesn't look a lot better. Yeah, and he's not, like, offensively contributing. It's kind of weird, like... He used to. He kind of had that mid-range jumper in his arsenal, which yeah. he really paired back on, and then I guess kind of reintroduced it last game. Like yeah. I think he made one or two. So Samuel's Fine. has been Ugh. still an X factor, which we've talked about this entire team. Like the difference for this game team is yeah. if Samuel's is going to go from an X factor to a known commodity. Yeah, and he is not a known commodity. Still. Not yet. And he he makes highlight real plays at least once or twice a game. Yeah. But not a known commodity. Yeah, it's like you can you can count on him for good plays. You can't yet count on him for a good game. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, you look at Moore, and I would say Moore might be the one who you could point to as saying, okay, Moore has Moore has improved. He looks much more in the flow of the offense. 100%, yeah. He looks much more capable defensively. And so I do think Moore is where you're seeing improvement. A little bit more of the improvement. So I think more is kind of the exception, though, not the rule. Yeah. Slater doesn't look much better. No. Um, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, he's definitely yeah. the same player. Slider doesn't look much better. Yeah, and Slider has been Slider. pretty much a non It's been a kind of a non factor the past few games, unfortunately. He's gotten a little foul trouble, like just hasn't been really worked in, and Jay seems to be yeah. comfortable leaving it on the bench for long stretches. And then obviously, Antoine. Is the is the speaking of X factors is clearly an issue. And Jay actually got asked it. I think it was about him. Correct me if I'm wrong. Jay got asked like, "Hey, what's going on with Antoine? Like, is he going to get worked into rotation, etc." And Jay's response was interesting. He's like, "It's he's like he basically said that Antoine's doing well in practice and he's going to start earning more minutes." 
But the thing that he's struggling with is that he's got starters who are still making so many mistakes. Mm. So when Jay doesn't like to put in younger players in a situation where he feels like they're exposed because they're other players on the court who are also mm, making that's interesting. errors and mistakes. So it's almost like he didn't place the blame on Antoine's feet. He said, my starters aren't consistent enough where I could put them in there. And if you remember, I, I, I can analogize this to in 2017, 2018, like Colin saw a fair share of minutes, like 10, 15 minutes a game. Yeah. And it was taking Jay's point in earnest, right? Like he probably felt comfortable putting Colin in because he knew I had four superstars yeah. in there if Colin wasn't in there. Yeah, Colin, basically, go stand in the corner, we'll throw you the ball because we drew the defense in, you'll get an open three. Like, right. And the ball is going to come to you like because people make the right decisions. That's right. a great point. So so he doesn't feel as comfortable putting in a guy with his le- le- who's not strong and has less experience as Antoine because the other players on the court aren't living up to, in Jay's mind, hit their end of the bargain. Mm. Not that he was mad. It was just saying that these are young teams and, like, Phil Booth got Phil Booth and Pascal was the example he gave was had the had the opportunity to kind of learn how to be leaders for like years. Yeah. Plural. Again, uh, under stars and these guys who haven't had that opportunity to the same level of an extent. Yeah. So it is an interesting take. He just doesn't feel like he wants to put someone in a position where they're going to make a lot of errors. Yeah. And he also admitted, this is an interesting press conference. Like, I watched like 10 minutes of it. I felt like there was a lot of good juice there. Which usually there is not. Usually there is not. He also said, he also said that he was, he said, he admitted, he said, this, some other programs are better at developing, like, are taking inexperienced talent and getting more out of them. He's like, he admitted straight up. He's like, that's not one of the parts of our program. We're not good at this. Yeah. He straight up said it. He's like, for whatever reason, we're not as good at developing young talent early. Like, we are a much more like, we're going to take you and you're going to become a star player. Yeah. But it's going to take us years to do that. Yeah. And he, he straight up admitted, he's like, other programs can do it much more quickly than we can. We believe in our model and this is kind of how it works. Which is probably okay now. And I'm sure his recruiting pitch is pretty consistent with what you just said there now i feel like that's different than you know probably 10 years ago where he was probably like yeah yeah yeah, like we'll get you minutes we'll get you minutes now it's okay like i set those expectations likely and i can fall back on my track record that hopefully it doesn't cause turmoil internally and change people's expectations i will say that the only thing here is that and i don't want this to turn into drama because i really just don't think that like jq is clearly dramatic about it and i don't think antoine's being dramatic about it because i haven't heard a single there's been no smoke. Yeah. Like, there was smoke last year all the time. So you knew there was there, fire. There was there was fire, clearly. Yeah, I yeah. mean, <laughs> There's no smoke this year. But I can tell you that after the JQ fiasco of last year, to have it happen again with Antoine, again, slightly different circumstances, injured player, not yeah. able to practice early on, etc. totally limited upper body. Yep. Still, to, like, you, you, you want to see Antoine buy... February by tournament, like getting to see real minutes and playing time. Because if not, then like, then like people can start to ask the question. It's a little narrative. Is it Jay? Yeah. Or is it the player? Yeah. Right. Like, and it kind of comes across like it's Jay. And it's one of those things where you're allowed to have recruiting misses every now and then. So you're allowed to make a mistake with a guy like a Quinterly. But if it's two in a row, it's like, okay, it's still the coach, right? Like if you mess up on recruiting that often, like you're the problem. Sure. And I'm not saying Jay's a problem. Like obviously I would, 
I think we're clear on this podcast that Jay should never go anywhere. He should be given a lifetime contract. Yeah. But that's kind of like a narrative that could it's absolutely a, be built. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit weird. I mean, look, the, the good thing is we can also point to JRE and say, look, this dude starts, he plays 30 minutes a game. Counter-argument does. Like, eh, he hasn't developed all that much. But we'll see. I think that'll. I think he'll come around. But, yeah, it's a great point. Yeah. So my, my whole point in saying this all is that individual player development, I'm not seeing it a ton. Obviously, a lot of work in the offseason. Like, Bay was, like, a role player last year and clearly turned into, like, by the end of the last year, he turned into a, like a pretty solid player, yeah. like a known entity. This year, he's clearly stepped up to like all star type status. Yeah. So like, there's player development off season. Colin does things that I never thought that Colin would be able to do. Yeah, absolutely. So like, Colin developed off season, right? Here's here's a question for you: How much do you think your view of this would change if over the past six games we hadn't shot twenty four percent from three, but we had instead shot 35% from three, and you saw Samuels knocking down three threes a game, and you saw Jerry knocking down one three a game. It's a fair question because I think if I saw that, I'd probably change my mind. I think so. I think it would change my mind. The The difference is why I say Jay's improved the whole and not the sum of the parts is that is that I look at defensive, defense effort as like, and defensive skill and whatever as a whole thing and mm-hmm. not individual players getting better, which mm-hmm. is, get, I guess, is a little unfair way to approach it. Yeah. But the whole on defense is definitely improved, broadly speaking, because we've shot poorly, so and, poorly, yeah. and still pulled out five wins, four of which at least came against good competition. Yeah. So, and some of the elite competition. So, yeah. uh, you know, that point needs to be made. I agree with you though. If we shot the better, if we shot the ball better, or if different players shot the ball better, yeah. like when Bay goes off, when Colin goes off, I kind of am like, okay, I expect that. Yeah, you, you, I see what you're getting at. You want to see a little bit more from those what we're deeming X factors or, or really role players because that's at the end of the day what makes the team dangerous, right? Like in 18, when you had six players, any of whom could go off for 30 points on a night. That's when you know yeah. you're really fucking good. Yeah, and absolutely. we're not there. We've got we've got three. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. Fine. And JRE, I guess one of the things that I'll point out specifically, and this is my best example, is like yesterday during the game, he was letting even in the second half, he was letting Yurt Seven and um, Wahab just get the ball like all the way under the basket. Yeah. Yeah. That's not good defense. That's bad defense. So I guess I could even point to a defensive thing about about our team, about an individual player that's not improving. Yeah. Like, and he keeps getting worked defensively. So, yeah. w- look, I'm very I'm very upbeat about the team. I know I'm like we're talking about lack of improvement of individual players, but clearly the defense has improved. Clearly the team has improved. So, I think that Jay is doing a a, a very good job so far with this unit. Okay. All right, it's probably probably pretty good on that. Yeah. So you want to talk a little bit about the Big East? Let's do it. Yeah. Let's 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 whip around here because we're now like, but depending on the team, like between three or five games in to the Big East season, we're four in, three and one, looking good. And what we're seeing here with the Big East is, it's a big beautiful mess, and which is kind of what you'd expect because you have legitimately ten teams who, if they eat it. Not, not all of them are going to make it, but like you have yeah. 10 teams who, if they go on respective runs and have a fabulous Big East season, could 
very well make the NCAA tournament. Like everyone mm-hmm, still mm-hmm. feels, everyone still probably feels like they could throw their hat in a ring and haven't washed out their, their NCAA tournament hopes yet. So you'd expect to see a big, beautiful mess. With that said, you are starting to see the cream rise to the top. Yeah. And I think yesterday especially started to crystallize that. Yeah. And for me, that was what I'm really getting at is Seton Hall. Like Seton Hall obviously took their knocks early on. They lost their second leading scorer on the team. And we were well, already... Powell didn't play for a while. Powell didn't play for a while. And we were already like, all right, like this is going to be another off year for Seton Hall. But they had an awesome win yesterday against Marquette. Miles Powell was doing Miles Powell things. If you didn't see the game, I would absolutely encourage you to check out some of his highlights. He had a couple like James Harden-esque like jab step, step back threes from NBA range and just buried him like two within five minutes. It was awesome. He was playing lights out. Uh, we love Mike Miles Powell. Big Miles Powell fan. Yeah, yeah. We, we like Miles Powell a lot. Not as big a fan of Marcus Howard. We like Marcus Howard, but bigger, much bigger fan. We just don't like Marquette. We kind of like really hate Marquette yeah. on this podcast. And like Seton Hall, it's kind of a weird love-hate relationship. So Yeah, I like, to, I like to see them be good. Yeah, I like seeing them be good. I It's weird because Willard is like a smarmy kind of guy, but yeah, I kind of like him. Like, I don't know. Yeah, like, I remember I last year at the Big East Tournament, and you were having like a love fest with these Seton Hall fans next to us. I was yeah. like, dude, this is like weird. Like, stop. I know, but I don't know why. It's I just so kind strange. of like, I respect it. I respect the hustle because like, I guess one of the things is they're the one team at, in the new Big East, who kind of has their shit together? They probably of, do. Yeah. Of the old guard, they they are the one. They're the program who's really elevated themselves. I think. Yes. One uh, one of there's a couple, but but yeah. So anyway, Seton Hall, absolutely starting to get their act together there. Miles Powell coming together, going to be the killer that we thought he was going to be at the beginning of the year. Yeah. So they're definitely on the way up. Butler, obviously. Butler is... They're a top 10 team. Yeah. And Jay even said it yesterday in the press. I've said Jay said it yesterday in the presser like a lot on this podcast. Um, But Butler pointed out... like He pointed out that Butler looks like... It seems like there's not a lot of separation, but he said Butler seems to be the one team that is a step ahead right now. Yeah. And he said, so they're going to wear the target on the back. And yeah, they're like sixth ranked. They had a big win at Providence, who Providence all of a sudden looked good for a several game stretch. And they basically gave them no shot. Like they, they Providence was helpless. Like they're yeah. down ten. Like felt like the entire game. And and Butler just looks better. Yeah, uh, Butler looks really good. There's no individual player like Kamar Baldwin. Kamar Baldwin's the guy, probably. Yeah. But like they just are so cohesive. They look so unified. They look like like I give Laval Jordan like a lot of credit. He's got this team going really well. Yeah. They kind of have this Butler way thing that they're doing. The and they, Butler way. And it's, it, it's ambiguous it, like Villanova It's the ambiguous basketball. thing that means nothing and yeah. everything at the same time. 100%. And it still kind of works. Yeah. So Butler, Seton Hall, and us That's are like top. top three in the standings. Providence also three and one. I don't think anyone has like this nah. big strong belief on Providence. Although Ed Cooley finds a way to get that team into good shape by the end of the... Um, and people did expect them to be good, but like they started off so... So poorly. A lot to recover from. Yeah. But if they stay hot, if they if they win at this pace, right? If they end up like twelve and six or something, eleven and seven in the conference, like they have a bid, they have a shot, depending on what wins they get. They yeah. gotta get they gotta rip off some really high quality wins though. I the the one team I want to talk quickly about is the team we called out as our Chiron Cartwright oh, team yeah. of the uh of the season. Xavier. Xavier. We we so again, quick reference for those listeners who don't know. 
Tyron Cartwright, this is point, old point guard from Providence, got overhyped by Fox, you know, just as a joke, basically. They said, hey, he's the best point guard in the Big East when Brunson was around. So Xavier was our team of the season. We thought was getting way overhyped for no real reason whatsoever. And well, let me let me give you the reason. The reason was they were good at the end of last year. They came on strong at the end of last year. Yeah, and they were getting like, you know, frankly, they get like a little bit of program benefit, a little program ranking, I think. Yeah, which is kind of irrelevant because like, tournament, but they no. kind of like peaked at the right time. Yeah, which is I I didn't really understand that one. And they started off fine. They started off preseason ranked, promptly kind of lost that ranking, and they just haven't really done much. No, and now they're one three. Yeah, in conference. Yeah, like, we, we beat them, you know, was it last week? And we're like, oh, that's a nice win. And now we're kind of like, eh, all right, we'll see how valuable it is later. But, yeah. Yeah, so they, they need to show me a lot more at this point. Yeah, yeah, Xavier looks like they're really sputtering out. Georgetown, after seemingly having their shit kind of come together after their transfers out and their program issues that they've had, kind of got off to a slow start in the Big East. St. John's got off to a slow start in the Big East. DePaul who at some point in time, even our podcast was saying, maybe should be ranked. Yeah. As totally shit the bed in the beginning of the Big East season. But right now what you have is you're four games in, three games in, and you have a lot of teams who have one win or two wins, and a lot of teams who are just a big log jam in the middle. And I don't know if we're going to – like Len Elmore, who I don't like at all. Len Elmore said on the – uh, on the uh, during the game yesterday, that you'll start to see that kind of separate as the t- season goes on. I actually don't know. I don't think that that's going to be the case. I think that it's going to be a lot like last year, yeah. where you had a ton of teams in this cluster in the middle, and that's going to be like that until the very end of the season. It won't. It won't clarify itself until the very end. Yeah, I. I, I think that's right, and yeah, I think it's. I think what's going to happen is it's going to play out kind of how it's played out already. I think we're going to have those top three: us, Seton Hall, and Butler separate a bit, and the rest of them, they're going to fight it out amongst themselves. Yeah. And that'll be that. And the only teams that you can see kind of kind of sputtering out, like, you worry for a team like DePaul, who kind of has, like, mm. a losing history, yeah. and St. John's kind of has losing history, to, like, all of a sudden, y- y- the programs aren't strong enough to withstand that many losses in a row, and the kind of teams kind of mail it in. Like, it's not mailing it in, it's just kind of like, you know what, fuck it. They, don't, they don't see where it's going. Yeah, they don't see where it's going. So you worry about that with, with, with programs of that nature. Yeah. All right. Should we talk unis real quick? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the unis. So there was a funny thread, and then I got into it on Twitter because someone, because I retweeted a funny thread about, someone said, oh, Boomer's take on, on <laughs> and like, I got some people come back to me and they're like, oh, podcast, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, this is not <laughs> is a... Poli- is that what they said? <laughs> yeah, that's how it kind of came across. And it's like, look, uh, let me be clear. We're not like, we're not like political on the pie. We're apolitical. We're agenerational. Like Rob and I are both like elder millennials, so to speak, um, in terms of age. And so we're, we're not like saying anything. We're not endorsing that particular point of view. It was just funny because like some people who are particularly crotchety, who they, who the author used as boomers, yeah. right? Like people who are particularly crotchety about the the unis like he said what they sound like sometimes and yeah. i thought that it was a funny thread because like sometimes i've caught myself saying some of that shit too absolutely like oh what was what was with this like why, we shouldn't have yellow yellow's an old color we don't have yellow in here it looks stupid and like it's funny to like read threads like that because it kind of is like it points out it's like okay like you know being a little self-aware yeah. like it's yeah, I kind of sound a little bit like that. I like, broadly speaking... Yeah, the, let's, let's the, debate the unis oh, here. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm here's where I'm coming from. I am all in on what Nike did with Oregon football. Like, I don't know. It was like maybe like 10 years ago. They're basically like, we're going to have a new Jersey every game. And there were crazy shit that Oregon football was, was using. They were all different kinds of colors. They did the highlighter yellow. So we're getting a little bit of that Nike treatment right now. We're t- with all these different uniforms, they're evolved, they're throwbacks, they're throwbacks with pitch back, pitch blue, like whatever it is. I love it. Yeah. And let's be clear here. We're not paying for this. Yeah, this is great. This is, this is them choosing Villanova because Villanova is an elite program. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, we're going to experiment with Villanova because everyone kind of knows them and it's fun. Yeah. And that, that's why we're doing this. Like the reason why we're getting this treatment is because we're good. Yeah. I love it. I mean, in my mind, try out as many jerseys as we can. Yeah. Let's have some fun with it. Some of them are going to land and some of them are going to stick and be like, yeah, that jersey is awesome. Others, we're going to be like, no, that sucks. Put it away. Don't yeah. ever bring it out. But the fact that we brought back the, what is it, the 50s jersey twice already, I am all for it. Hey, we're 2-0. and We are 2-0 and in the 50s jersey. Keep it common. I think it's 70s, but... 70s, whatever it is. Whatever. 50s, 70s, same I think, thing. I think it is 50s. I'm I, pretty sure I, it's 50s. No, I'm sure we wore the jerseys for a long period of time, up yeah. and through the 70s. So I think you're probably, I think we're probably both right. Um, I, yeah, I kind of like it. It's weird, because I thought I would always hate yellow, and yeah. it kind of works. How'd you feel about the pitch, uh, pitch blue? I like it. Here's the thing. I generally like, and I've asked for light blue to become more of a feature color mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. a way that's not North Carolina-y, yeah. because that's important. Of course. But in a way that's not, not North Carolina-y, I like seeing our team wear a little bit more light blue as our feature, like, extra color. Because yeah. it's kind of like that tertiary color in our in our school, and it's a cool color. I like it. It's kind of like... It gives it a little bit of like a uniqueness to it, and I like emphasizing it. And the pitch blue, what it was is the jersey was effectively black. Yeah. And then it really emphasized that like light blue because it really stood out on the jersey. And I thought I, it was cool. I thought it looked good. I did. I did again. The name leaves something to be desired, but the sure. But the but the jersey itself, I thought it looked cool. Yeah. And one thing I was excited about, I think I mentioned this on one of the other podcasts too, was the fact that. Not only are we using these jerseys, but we're also selling them, too. Yes. So you're at the bookstore. Big. Yeah, huge. Big for morale. Yeah. <laughs> the fan base was in dire straits until we were able to buy the yellow jersey. I want the 85 throwback jersey. We still, so that's, bad. so that's my one knock on the jersey thing yeah. is, right? Like, those need to be incorporated. Everybody loves them. You should be able to buy them. Like, that should 100% be a staple. Yeah. Agreed. Wholeheartedly, 100%. Cool. All right. So I think that's probably it on the Jersey front. Should we do a quick look ahead for the week? Yes, that's exactly what I want to do. So we've got two games this week against two... Winnable games. Right? Two we're in very a, winnable we're games. We're in a home stretch, I believe, right yeah, now. Yeah. So we've got DePaul early in the week, and then we've got UConn on the weekend. Looking forward then to... We won't get into it this uh, in this podcast, but... The next week, we play Butler, which is going to be a great one. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Anyways, so we'll do a full breakdown of Butler next week's pod. Yeah. As far as this week is concerned, yeah, DePaul and UConn, we're, we we should win both games. They're both at home. Yeah. Um, UConn, what you need to know is they're still not good. They're getting better under Hurley. They're still not there yet. 
And this will be our last time playing them as a non-conference opponent, unless for some reason we see them in a postseason tournament, which doesn't look likely for them. It does not look likely. Yeah, it's, you know, you kind of, we always hope with a new coach, and especially a big name at the time, Hurley, coming in, that he'd be able to turn that program around super quickly. But it hasn't happened quite yet, and hopefully it will. But yes, we should absolutely be be going 2-0 this week. If we don't, I'm going to be... Yeah, those are those are two. Let's not entertain it. We should be two and zero this week. We are twelve and three. We should run the record to fourteen and three coming into Butler, and that looks like it could be um, maybe not a top ten tilt, but like a top fifteen tilt for sure. Yeah, and that'll be the game of uh, at least the month for the Big East. Yeah, so 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 that's looking like a pretty important game. Oh, the one guy to look out for in DePaul. Sorry, I gotta say, yeah, Paul Reed. This guy can jump through the ceiling. Yeah. Of a building. That's the guy you look out for, for uh, on DePaul. Yeah. Um, the other guy is um, is Charlie Moore, who was the Kansas transfer. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Who's their, who's their point guard? Moore can be very hit or miss, though. Super hit or miss. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. can absolutely just brick a ton, yeah. but can be a nice facilitator pa- as well. Paul Reed looks like a guy. Yeah. Moore and Reed are the two guys. Reed is the guy who's like, he'll just blow you away with his athleticism, and, and, and Moore. Yeah, if he has a good game, we could be a little bit more of a fight. If he doesn't, then this should be an easy victory. Yeah. All right, we would give you UConn stats, but... No, there's nothing to give. <laughs> we, we should win the game. That's it for this week. Yeah, So bring it home, 2-0, baby. Bring it home, let's do another 2-0 week, and then we got Butler coming up. Whew! And should be an interesting one. All right, guys, thanks for listening, and as always, let's, let's go, go Nova. Nova.